Jeremiah 23, 9. Over the years that I've been a Christian, there's been things said, prophecies and teachings that just went sideways. How about yourself? I remember when I was first a Christian, uh, there was a comet that was going to come and destroy the planet. I don't remember the name of that, but uh, it never happened, did it? Uh, back in the 70s, there was always talk about uh, everybody had a demon. If you had a problem with eating or smoking, you had a demon of smoking or a demon of overeating or a demon of watching bad movies. And that kind of went the way. Um, then there was the shepherding movement. We had the shepherding movement, which everybody had to have a shepherd, and he would tell you exactly how to live your life, what job you could work, what, where you could live, and on and on, and that kind of passed away. And I suppose my innate skepticism kept me from falling in line with all that falderall. Uh, others have what we call a baloney meter. Do you know what a baloney meter is? A baloney meter is when they start to feed you baloney. You think, ah, I ain't believing that baloney. Um, now we're hearing, we're hearing about that uh, nobody's going to hell. Did you do new revelations? Nobody's going to hell because hell is not a very loving place, and God is loving, so nobody is going to hell. That's the new thing going around. We hear the truth. Uh, the virgin birth is not necessary. We don't need to believe in the virgin birth anymore. Um, and here's the new uh, truth. There is no absolute truth. It's all relative and there's no absolute truth. And then combined with the cults, the Jehovah Witnesses, the Mormons, Scientology, Christian science, you know, almost every time, it's almost like you're overwhelmed by all the junk that's going around. And you need a good baloney meter just to keep yourself from being sucked into some of these things. But I think much more important than a good baloney meter, or like me, innate skepticism about everything, uh, it's always very helpful to learn what the Bible has to say, because the Bible is is where we find our ground and our strength and our stability. Well, that brings us to our passage this morning. In the beginning uh, of chapter 23, you remember that Jeremiah was prophesying the word of the Lord to the shepherds, to the leaders of Israel, how they had been destroying and scattering the sheep. And now in the second half of chapter 23, he turns to the false prophets and the false teachers of the day, who are misleading the people. And there's some things that we need to learn from this passage that will be helpful for us so that we don't drift away into all the falderall that's coming. And the Bible teaches us as the times get closer to the end, what's going to happen? False teachers will abound and false prophets. And so I want to speak to you this morning on that. And I see uh, two basic responses. There's a response from the believers in light of the false teachers, and there's also a response from the Lord, and we'll take them one at a time. Uh, first, looking at uh, the believer's response. Now, as we go through this passage, you're going to notice that some of the subjects bleed into one another because it's really hard to separate them. And you'll see as, what I mean as we talk. They bleed kind of, it's not real clear verse by verse, but... 
they bleed into one another. But you'll see that there is essentially two main responses that's given in this passage and then two subpoints with that. So let's first take a look at the believer's response in verses 9 through 22, but let's first read verses 9 through 15, which is the first response from a believer from the word of the Lord. Verse 9, chapter 23. As for the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I have become like a drunken man, even like a man overcome with wine because of the Lord and the words of his holy words. For the land is full of adulterers. The land mourns because of the curse. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up. Their course also is evil and their might is not right. For both prophet and priest are polluted. Even in my house, I have found their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore, their way will be like slippery paths to them. They will be driven away into the gloom and fall down into it. For I will bring calamity upon them the year of this punishment declares the Lord. Moreover, the prophets of Samaria, I saw an offensive thing. They prophesied Baal and led my people Israel astray. Also among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen a horrible thing. The committing of adultery, the walking in falsehood, they strengthen the hands of the evildoers so that no one has turned back from his wickedness. All of them have become like to me, like Sodom and are inhabitants like Gomorrah. Therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts concerning the prophets, Behold, I am going to feed them wormwood and make them drink poisonous water. For the prophets of Jerusalem, for from the prophets of Jerusalem, pollution has gone forth into all the lands. So the first response we see is a believer, a believer is to be brokenhearted. A believer is to be brokenhearted. Look at what it says in verse 9. Jeremiah's heart was broken, was broken. He was like a drunken man as he watched what was going on all around him in Jerusalem and Israel. He was, his heart was broken. And then following, in the following verses, he tells us why his heart is broken, why he's so saddened by what is going on. He says, verse 10, the land is full of adulterers, speaking primarily about spiritual adultery, but also about the results of Bad teaching leads to sexual immorality. The pastures of the wilderness have dried up. For the prophet and the priest are polluted. Even in my house, he says, even in my house they're doing it. Verse 13, the prophets of Samaria have led my people to worship Baal and also in Jerusalem to the place that he was considering them like Sodom and Gomorrah. And then in verse 15 he says, Pollution has gone forth into all the land. He's not speaking about physical pollution. He's talking about spiritual pollution. Now, that's what was going on. And the reason he's brokenhearted, the reason he's so saddened, is because of the word of the Lord. See, he knows the word of the Lord. Look at verse 9. Because of the Lord and his holy words... See, he knows the word of the Lord. He knows what the word of the Lord can do for people compared to the emptiness of the false prophets. Even though this scripture was written, wasn't written at this time, he knows that all scripture is what? Inspired by God and is profitable for what? Teaching, for reproof, for, tra- for correction, for training in righteousness. He knows what God's word will do. And he looks out upon the the false teaching, and his, he's brokenhearted. Perhaps he was even thinking, 
I was thinking he might know this psalm, probably did, Psalm 19. Let me just read it. The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. They are more desirable than fine gold, sweeter than honey, the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is the servant warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. There, See, he knows what the word of God does, and he sees the destruction that the false teaching is doing upon the people, and his heart is broken. Now, I believe his sadness is in direct proportion to his honoring God's word. His sadness, his broken hardness, is in direct proportion to how he knows the, the word of God is speaking into his heart. I think of another psalm, Psalm 1. This describes Jeremiah. Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. His delight is in the law of the Lord. In his, in his law, he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted in water by streams which yield its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does. See, that's Jeremiah. He was like a tree. He, he, he meditated. Everything, his life was formed in that. And so when he sees what's going on, he's devastated. Now the application to us would be what? <laughs> Directly proportional. If our lives are the kind of lives that are soaked in the Word of God, bathed in the Word of God, and that's what we're, we found in our life, then we look out and we're brokenhearted. However, if the Bible is something, well, it's, it's got some truth in it, you know, and it's okay, and I read it occasionally. If that's our aspect of the Word of God, and then what happens is then we can become much more inclusive of everything that's kind of going on in our crazy society. Well, now, Pastor Neil, you know, you need to just... Lighten up a little bit. There's truth in all of the, you know, that kind of attitude. The believer is to be brokenhearted as he looks around, sees what's going on. Story of a man who uh, traveled to Germany in the mid-30s, 1930s. He's from America. He was on a business trip for several weeks. And when he first got to Germany and he saw what the brown church and the Nazis were doing to the Jewish folks and merchants in, in Berlin, he was devastated. It almost made him physically sick when he saw the horror. And the reason he had that reaction is because he had just come from sanity. <laughs> sanity was what was going on in the United States. Insanity was what's going on in Germany at that time. But as he stayed week after week for several weeks... He became less and less affected and he finally just would kind of go about his business. Why? Because he had been desensitized by living in that. Now, the application for us is, uh, how are we responding to what's going on around our country and what's the teaching that's going on? Uh, Well, if it's just, well, you know, whatever, you know. But if we're bathed in the sanity, <laughs> the sanity of the Word of God every day, then our heart is broken by what we see going on in our country, what we see going on in the church. Broken hearted.
Because we know the word of God. We know what God's word can do in our hearts. So the first thing he tells us is, as we look upon the false prophets and the false teaching is a believer is to be broken hearted. Second thing we see is found in verses 16 through 22. Let me read those verses. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who are prophesying to you. They are leading you into futility. They speak a vision of their own imagination, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to me, saying to those who despise me, the Lord has said, you will have peace. As for everyone who walks in the stubbornness of his own heart, they say calamity will not come upon you. But who has stood in the counsel of the Lord? that he should see and hear his word. Who has given heed to his word and listened? Behold, the storm of the Lord has gone forth in wrath, even a whirling tempest. It will swirl down down on the head of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he has performed and carried out his purposes of his heart. In the last days, you will clearly understand it. I did not send these prophets, but they ran. I did not speak to them, but they prophesied. But if they had stood in my counsel, they would have announced my words to my people and would have turned them back from their evil way and from their evil deeds. Second response from believers is a believer is not to listen to them. Do you see that? Verse 16, we're not to listen to them. Why are we not to listen to them? Well, he gives us the reason following. He says... uh, Verse 17, they're speaking to those who despise me. They're encouraging those who are despising me. Say, well, you're going to have peace and calamity will not come upon you. Look at verses 18 through 20. He says, they're teaching the very opposite of what I am am saying. Verse 21, I didn't send these guys. I didn't speak to them, but they're coming and they're speaking. But if they had been in my presence, they had heard my word, they would have turned the people back from the evil way, but that's not happening. And so he tells them, don't listen. Don't listen to them. Now, as I read these verses, I thought, well, what would cause a person, what would cause a person to listen to false prophets or false teachers? And I came up with a couple of things. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. They're saying, you'll have peace. Calamity will not come upon you. First, we also, all of us, have a propensity to want to hear good news. <laughs> we want to hear what's good. We, you know, we want to hear something that's positive. And so, who wants to hear that judgment is coming? Because the message Jeremiah was preaching, if you know the book of Jeremiah, was what? Unless you repent, judgment is coming. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I want to hear something happy, clappy, something encouraging here. Come on. Give me some good news. So that's the first reason. We have a propensity to want to hear what's good. Now, in contrast to that, second reason is the Bible is filled with words that are hard to hear. Have you noticed? The Bible says we're all sinners. Amen? Then we need to repent. 
And if we don't repent, if we don't receive Jesus Christ, we are going to end up in eternal judgment, a place called hell. (laughs) Hell. And the word is not mentioned a lot around in churches, but you're going to hell unless you have Christ. Apart from me. (laughs) He says, there's nothing, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He who comes to me, he comes to the Father, comes through me. And so... The Bible is filled with those things. and uh, Those are hard sayings. I thought about what Timothy wrote, what Paul wrote to Timothy. Let me read it. Timothy 4.3 For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have what? Their ears tickled with what? Good things, happy things. They will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. See that? And will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. (laughs) The next reason I think that some people are drawn to these type of prophets and teachers is we we kind of want a sense of something spiritual going on in our lives. What does, you know, there's this something, ooh, you know, God is moving. But oftentimes, in order for that to happen, there has to be a consecration of our lives. Now, salvation is free, amen? It just, all you have to put your faith in Jesus, move your faith from yourself to Jesus and and you got it. But then moving on and seeing the Lord work in your life sometimes means that what? You have to begin to read God's word. You have to be a kind of a person that knows God's word. You have to be a person who has yielded himself uh, to the things of the Lord, a person who prays. And see, a lot of people, I don't want, I don't want to do that. And so they turn to worshiping of angels and channeling and crystals and all kinds of kind of stuff and away they go. So we want a sense of spirituality in our lives. But the Bible tells us how to get that. Draw near to me and I will what? Draw near to you. And sometimes drawing near to the Lord means that we have to do what? We have to deny ourselves. And some people don't want to do that. But they want that sense of spirituality. And the other reason I think is that, um, and this gets a little bit harsher, we want to continue in our sin. (laughs) We want to continue in our sin, but we want the validation that somehow God approves of what we're doing. And so we go to a church or a group that accepts our, perhaps, if you know what I mean, our alternate lifestyle, our way of living. And so they, and you know, we're all inclusive and everybody is loved and you can do whatever you want and be accepted by God, you see. So you have God, but you still got your sin. Mm. Still doing your thing. And so you can buy into that because it, you don't want to give up your sin, but you want a sense that God is not going to judge you. So we're not, the believers, not to listen to them. They're not teaching God's word. If he didn't send them, he's not speaking his word, we're not to listen to them. 
Now, if we're not to listen to them, who are we to listen to? We're to listen to people who give the full counsel of God. Genesis to Revelation. What did Paul say in Acts chapter 20 to the elders of Ephesus? I taught you what? The full counsel of God. Not just picking and choosing, but the full counsel of God. We're to listen to people who talk about Jesus' death and the meaning of Jesus' death and what it means in his resurrection. We want to listen to people who convict us of our sin. Who, you know, on a regular basis, you leave church convicted. And you think, wow, that's part of the word of God. That's what it's supposed to do to you, is to convict you. At the same time, we look for people who have the grace of God. It's, it's not a series of man-made legalism and do's and don'ts not found in the Bible. A whole bunch of issues, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that, and you know, you can't... Wait a minute, wait a minute. Those who are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God, founded in what the Bible says, not a bunch of man-made rules and special underwear and all this other stuff. My heavens. We look for people who have the fruit of the Spirit, which is what? Love. The love, you can feel the love of God. You can sense the love of God for the people. And especially people who have a heart for the lost. Who have a heart to see people saved. Delivered from the kingdom of darkness and delivered into the kingdom of his dear son. Both around the world and here in this country. That's the kind of people you want to listen to. The people who's, who teach you from the Bible and not some other books. Okay, believer's response, we're to be broken hearted at what's going on. We're to be grieved, saddened, and we're not to listen to them, we're not to listen to them. No matter how much it tickles our ears. Okay, let's take a look at the Lord's response. Verses 23 through 40, but first let's take a look at verses 23 through 32. I am God who is near, declares the Lord, and not far a God far off. Can a man hide himself in hiding places so I do not see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill the heavens and the earth, declares the Lord? I have heard what the prophets have said, who are prophesying false in my name, saying, I had a dream, I had a dream. How long? Is there anything in the hearts of the prophets who prophesy falsehood? Even these prophets of deception in their own heart? who intend to make my people forget my name by their dreams, which they relate to one another, just as their fathers forgot my name because of Baal. The prophet who has a dream may relate his dream, but let him who has my word speak my word in truth. What does straw have in common with grain, declares the Lord? Is not my word like a fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer which shatters a rock? Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who steal my words from each other. Behold, I am against the prophets, declares the Lord, who use their tongues and declare the Lord declares. Behold, I am against those who have prophesied false dreams, declares the Lord, and relate them and led my people astray by their falsehoods and reckless boasting. Yet I did not send them or command them, nor do they furnish this people with the slightest benefit. First response we see from the Lord, the Lord is against them. And we've seen 
earlier verses on that, but he really comes three times. He says, I'm against them, I'm against them, I'm against them. And previous to that, he tells us why he's against them. Verses 23 through 24, he says, you think I don't see? (laughs) You think I don't know what's going on? I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing. They're saying, I had a dream, but I had a dream, but it's not from God. It's all falsehood. And their intention is to draw my people away from me. That's their intention. Prophet has a dream. He has a dream, yeah. But does it compare to my word? He says, my word is like grain. What is straw to grain? You know what straw is? It's chaff. gets burned. It's useless. Grain is what feeds you and gives you life. He says, my word is like a fire, like a hammer that shatters. How can their words minister life? And then three times he says, I am against them, I am against them. They steal my words and they steal them from one another and they say, the Lord has said, the Lord has said, I'm against them. I did not send them or command them and do not furnish this people anything that's of any worth. And so three times, I'm against them. I'm against them. I'm against them. Now, there have been, at times, people who have this attitude, perhaps even in the church, that if there's a lot of people going to it, going to a group or a church or whatever, or whatever, that somehow that God is blessing you know, it's a large group. It's, well, it's the Lord's blessing, right? And oftentimes that idea comes from a guy called Gamaliel. You remember the story? In Acts chapter 5, the disciples get brought before them. And Gamaliel said, wait a minute, let's not mess with these guys, these disciples of Jesus, because if it's of God, he'll destroy them. If it's not of God, he'll destroy them. And if they're of God, we don't want to be fighting a God. You remember that? You remember that? And people say, oh yeah, well, so if it's, if it's if there's lots of people in the Lord's blessing, then it must be of God. Not true. Now, in a bigger sense, in the picture, you know, the whole sense, it, that's true, amen? But in the local sense, you look around, there's a lot of groups that are prospering that are not of God, amen? They're not of God. And so just because it's big and there's a lot of people going to it doesn't mean it's of God. The question is, are they teaching God's word? That I had this used on me years ago. I confronted a man who had started a church and he had lied about starting a church, a blatant lie. And when he couldn't get out of the lie, you know what he said to me? He said, well, the Lord's blessing and there's a lot of people coming now, so I, I guess it's okay. I guess the Lord allowed it or whatever. And his justification for his lie was that now the Lord was blessing the work. Hmm. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says, I'm against them. I'm against them. I'm against them. Don't be discouraged by the size of false organizations led by false prophets. Don't be discouraged. The Lord tells you three times, 
I, don't worry. I know what's going on. I am against them. If they're not teaching his word. Second response found in verses 33 through 40. Now when this people or a prophet or a priest ask you saying, what is the oracle of the Lord? Then you shall say to them, what oracle? The Lord declares, I will abandon you. Then as for the prophet or the priest or the people who say the oracle of the Lord, I will bring punishment upon that man and his household. Thus will each of you say to his neighbor and to his brother, what has the Lord answered? What has the Lord spoken? For you will no longer remember the oracle of the Lord because every man's own word will become the oracle. And you have perverted the words of the living God and the Lord of hosts, our God. Thus you will say, that prophet, what has the Lord answered you? And what has the Lord spoken? For if you say the oracle of the Lord, surely thus says the Lord, because you said this word, the oracle of the Lord, I have also sent to you, saying, you shall not say the oracle of the Lord. What therefore, behold, I will surely forget you and cast you away from my presence along with the city which I gave you and your fathers. I will put an everlasting reproach on you and an everlasting humiliation which will not be forgotten. The last second response of the Lord and the last response is the Lord will cast them away. See that? I'll cast you away from my presence. Now, at first reading, this is kind of a difficult passage. Did you get that as we read it? thought, what? What is he saying here? Let me attempt to give you what I think it is. The term oracle can be translated, oracles in the New American Standard, can be translated burden, the burden of the Lord. And it's the Hebrew word masa, and it means burden, it means a heavy load. Like it would be used for a heavy load placed on a burst of a, a beast of burden. Okay, so it's talking about a heavy load. Now, many of the prophets, the good prophets, the prophets of the Lord would use the burden of the Lord. When they had something heavy to say, they would say the burden of the Lord. Okay, that's how it was used. However, during this time, during this time, the false prophets had begun to use the word to mock Jeremiah. They were mocking what he said because their prophecies were more palatable to the people. They were, everything's going to be fine. You're going to be wonderful. Don't listen to the doom and gloom, the oracle of the Lord, the burden of the Lord. So they were using it to mock him. And so Jeremiah is determined not to use that phrase anymore because it adds fuel to their mocking. Now, these false prophets were misleading the people. Not only that, but they were putting down, mocking the very word of the Lord that was coming from Jeremiah. And as a result, as a result, in verses 39 and 40, he tells them, physical judgment is coming upon you. Did you notice that? Verse 39, I will cast you away from my presence along with this city. What is he talking about? The prophets would suffer the same consequence that Jerusalem was going to cover. They would either be killed or carried away to Babylon in captivity. So there was a physical judgment, but notice there's also an eternal judgment. Verse 40, and it will put an everlasting reproach 
on you with an everlasting humiliation. So we see both a physical judgment upon them and an eternal judgment. Here's the place of confidence. They might be popular now, but the Lord is against them and he will judge them. That's the place of confidence that we have as we look out on the scene around theirs. Okay, pulling it all together. One of my favorite subjects in Bible school was church history. You're saying, boring. No, 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 church history is not boring. I love to see what happened after we closed the Bible, you know, there. First century is done. Well, what happened after that? There was another 20 centuries. And it's so neat to see how God took the strangest people in the strangest places and used them in unique and special ways. It's like, wow. And it, it was the 3rd century, 4th century, 9th century, 12th century, 15th century, right on through up to the 21st century. It's so neat to see how God uses different people in different places to do his work. I love church history. Well, as I was reading church history, I noticed one thing. There are people, say back in the 8th century, who were so far removed from us as culture and time, but they're just like us. <laughs> Matter of fact, if they came into our fellowship, they'd feel comfortable here. Well, some of the Christian music would kind of freak them out, but that's another issue. We're going to leave that one alone. But they would feel comfortable here because you know what? They're just like us. They believed in Jesus. They believed the Bible just like us. Now, there were times there was kind of, you know, there was rabbit trails and false prophets and whatever. But you know what? Those kind of died out. And we're standing on the shoulders of saints who believed just like you do. 17 centuries ago, 18 centuries ago, 19 centuries ago, people just like you. You see, because God, God is against those who do not teach his word. And he will judge them. Now, my hope is some of this junk that we've picked up in the last couple of hundred years, <laughs> if the Lord tarries, mm, he'll take care of them. He knows what they're doing. Amen? He knows what's going on with them. What's the primary element? The primary element is a relationship with God our Father through Jesus Christ, His Son, as revealed in the Bible. As revealed in the Bible. He tells us anything else we're to be brokenhearted. We're not to encourage them. And we're not to listen to them. As I was washing my car yesterday afternoon, I had two young fellows in shirts and ties come by the house. They wanted to help me. I said, well, you know, I really like you guys. You're very sincere people, but you're wrong. And I feel so sorry for you because you're not going to heaven. Well, they got a little perturbed at that. 
But I, was, I said, you know, I love you guys. I'd love to help you. But, you know, you're missing it. You're going to miss it. And they tried to tell me that, you know, they believe in Jesus and all that other stuff. I says, no, you believe in another Jesus. They said, well, what do you mean? I says, well, I believe that, I says, do you believe that Jesus is the God, the only God? Oh, he is a God. I, wait, 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 stop, stop. No, wait, I didn't say a God. And I says, you will never be God. You'll never be God, and I'll never be God. There's only one God. And so we went around and around, and I said, and I left him, and I said, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you believe what you do because you're not going to heaven. We need to be brokenhearted and have a heart for these people. We don't need to listen to them. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we're so thankful for the Bible and the truth of your word. We're so thankful that you gave us this word. And we're thankful that we believed it and have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness, the kingdom of your dear son. We bless and thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.